This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Stephen Estock and Dustin Ballou on the power of men's discipleship in a disconnected world. Dr. Estock is the coordinator for the Committee on Discipleship Ministries, Dustin Ballou is the assistant pastor of Grace Community Church in Mobile, Alabama. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2022 General Assembly. Let's listen as teaching elders Estock and Ballou discuss the power of men's discipleship. My name is Stephen Estock. I'm coordinator for the Committee on Discipleship. For those of you who don't know what CDM is, we are one of the committees of General Assembly. And our job is to help you and the local church as you're making disciples. So we do that through our connecting you to the people and resources you need to do that. And in the area of children, youth, men's, and women's ministry. So that's what we got. The way I want to get that job done is through different teams. And so I have members of our men's ministry team here. And P.D. Mayfield, stand up, turn around. Then we got Dustin Blue. Dustin is our team facilitator. PD is a pastor in the D.C. area, or in the Baltimore area, Baltimore. And then Mike Flynn, the ruling elder, he's in Peoria. And then Monty Starks, teaching elder, he's in the Nashville area. And these guys are on our team. So when I talk about our team, these are the types of guys we're talking about. Now, as you think about the pandemic, and I've talked to people in churches, and we get questions about, okay, some of you have been meeting for months. Others of you, not so much. And you're probably still dealing with people who are maybe still afraid to come back to meeting face-to-face. So I want us to think about how can we, in the area of men's ministry, meet these needs and gather people. I looked up this, how do you live in a post-pandemic society? This is from May of 2021, so it's over a year old, but secular psychologist in psychology today, he said, if you're feeling stressed particularly out of the pandemic, what you need to do is connect. Think about it. It was a University of Wisconsin study. Girls, they got a gathering, a group of girls, they were to solve math problems in front of strangers. So the strangers were there to provide the stress. Well, what they did is they, after the performance, then these girls contacted their mothers. In some cases, they texted them. In other cases, they either called them or they met them in person. 
And so what they found in this study is that those that texted, that kept that non-relational part, there was a no decrease in cortisol, which is the, that comes, our bodies generate that when we're under stress, and there was no increase in oxytocin, which is our feeling of well-being and closeness and calm. But those who did contact in person or by phone, there was more relational connection, they did see a decrease in the stress hormones and an increase in the feeling well hormones. And then his point is that humans need physical contact and social emotional support. Now that's secular psychology. Other studies, again, secular studies, reveal that in bad times or good times, so when we're celebrating, social support is necessary not only for us to survive as humans, but to thrive as humans. So, Scripture talks about this too. Book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, of course, he's addressing people who are dealing with stress because they're being persecuted. And so, here's what the author of Hebrews said. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope. The gospel, all that comes out of the gospel, the hope that we have of eternal life, the hope that we have to live day by day. And then he says this, we need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How do we help each other in progressive sanctification? What is that human-to-human activity that's necessary that the Holy Spirit uses to build us up in Christ and to mature us as followers of Christ? Then verse 25, don't neglect the coming together. They were under incredible stress. And the temptation was, I'm going to bail on the body. I'm just going to go it myself. And so the author of Hebrews says, no. Come together, encourage one another, challenge one another, stir one another up, all the more as you see the day of redemption drawing near. I would argue that this gives us biblical rationale for how do we, we need to be committed to developing relational connection, especially as we come out of the stress of the pandemic. So how do we address the needs that our people have? They might not even know they have them as we come out of that. But how do we do it with biblical integrity? What we like to say at, at CDM, we, want, we think discipleship, learning to follow Jesus, needs to be word-based and relationally driven. You need to have God's Word, and you need to present God's Word in the context of relationships because that's how we grow together in ministry and in encouragement just to live day by day by day. We need that after the pandemic. So that's what our men's ministry team is looking at. What's happening in our church now? How do we address those needs? Some of you remember last year, you remember the QR codes and the surveys? Uh, some of y'all took, did any of you, how many of you started the survey? Okay, how many of you finished the survey? All right, John, we ought to give him a prize. We had, we had 500 people start the survey, 174 people finished the survey. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, that's fair. All right, you get a prize too. <laughs> But Dustin Ballou is going to come up. He's our team facilitator. He's going to go over some of the things that we found from that survey. We are grateful to everyone who 
participated in that survey last year, and really the heart behind the survey and what we wanted to learn from that, as Stephen mentioned, this team, these guys are on the team, we're all in the local church context. We're all fighting this battle in our own churches of trying to be disciples, walk as disciples, and see the men in our church do that same thing. But like I said earlier today when we uh, were having a meeting, the men are often the most neglected aspect of our church, right? We'll, we'll focus on women, children, youth, every other aspect, but men seem to get the scraps, the last bit of that, and they really should be a priority in our churches, especially as the leaders of not only the families, but the church body, and then we hope them to be leaders in the local community. And so we knew personally what we felt in our own context, but we wanted to hear from more of our brothers who are in this fight as well, and hear specifically, what are your challenges? What are you dealing with? What do you observe? What do you feel as you seek to walk faithfully and lead other men in that same thing? So we, we asked a very brief survey, 10 questions, to try to get to the heart of some of those things. So what we want to do is just kind of unpack those for a minute with you and show you what we heard and what we learned and even what was affirming for us even in our own context of what we see are really the struggles and the barriers in discipleship. And then we'll, as we go forward, I'll introduce uh, Mike Flynn, who's on our team as well, to share more about what we can do with that and even more going forward. But first, I want to start with um, a couple of graphs here. The first is uh, this question, the majority of men in your church are what? And, and we were encouraged by this number. Nearly two-thirds would say that they're maturing believers. That's great. What's interesting is the next thing. Over 75% or three-quarters said that 25% or less are actually consistently participating in anything related to your men's ministry. So they're maturing, they're growing, but they're not really participating in things that you're doing with the church. That's telling. That's, that's seeing this and saying, okay, what, what's the question behind that? How are they maturing? What's leading to that? Or, or is our definition of maturing and growing really a solid one? Is it really well-defined? Next thing is, what percentage of all the men in your church intentionally disciple other men? As you can see, the vast majority would say less than 10% are discipling other men. Again, we, we would say this very same thing in many of our churches that we're part of, but this is very telling. This is very interesting. If, if our call is to be equipping people, men in our church, to not only be disciples, but be making disciples of others, we can only conclude we're missing the mark, that this is the case. So then we go to more specifics. So what then are the greatest weaknesses you observe in the men in your church? Well, the greatest thing noted here is missional living, and that goes corresponds with the previous graph we just saw. But some other things here, service and community impact, even spiritual disciplines, those are some of the major things that were said are the, are the weaknesses, the things that are missing with many of our men. Then going along with that, the strengths that you then see, well, they have great biblical knowledge. They even exude a Christ-like character. But what's missing? Spiritual disciplines, missional living. So they may know a lot. <laughs> we may be training and equipping them well to know, but not so much to go, not so much to be and to do. So again, this is looking over the total of this data, and what we see is a picture that as we said, in many ways was affirming for what we were experiencing. And I'll say this in, uh, in conclusion again. 
our hope was not to come into our time and, and our goal with the team is not to just say, all right, we've got a quick fix and we're going to go do uh, what we think is right. We really want best as brothers in this to say, where can we help one another? What do we have? What can we give? And, and even more, who could we connect one another to that could help us in our own context? Because I think that really is something key and critical. As Stephen even noted, our, one of our greatest needs is just fellowship, connection. We need that with one another. And so we want to foster that as we talk about what we hope to do. So these are greatest weaknesses and strengths that we see that were noted uh, on the survey. So then what do you desire or who do you desire to engage and reach more effectively through your men's ministry? I thought this question was, was particularly interesting, especially in how it was answered. Over half would say, or half would say, immature believers are who I would want to engage and reach more of. It's understandable. What's smaller in this answer, though, are non-believers and multiplying believers. So it's on the both, it's on the extremes. It's, it's maybe a belief that those who are already multiplying, well, I don't have to worry as much about them. And for the non-believers, well, they're harder to get anyway. So I'm just going to focus on the ones that are kind of closest in and closest near. That's going to be the immature and maturing believers. At least they're here. <laughs> At least they're in the building, which I get that. I, I, I feel that too. But it begs the question, in what sense should our ministry see all of these men as important to strive for? And in some way, think for them. Think for how to engage them. Even think for how to nurture them, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey and their maturity. It's just an interesting revelation about this. So, what spiritual growth opportunities do you think your men desire most? So what are the men in your church do you believe they're asking for? They may literally be coming to you and asking you for these things. This one was also interesting. The greatest percentage was friendship. The next greatest was intentional discipleship. So what did we just hit on earlier? One of the greatest felt needs in society is connection, community. Friendship was number one for what you observe, what you believe is the greatest pull from the men in your church, followed closely by intentional discipleship. So if we believe our men are seeking that, they're wanting that, they're even asking for that, then in many ways the ball is on the tee for us to say, what do we do to meet them there? How do we better give emphasis and even more, what do we need to start down that path if it's lacking in our church? Here's another interesting question. How do you gauge effectiveness in men's ministry? So how would you look about, how would you look around at what's happening in your church and say, this is how I know if we're being successful or not. This is how I know whether we're moving forward or not. Seeing men move forward. Number one answer is men discipling men. Second is a spiritual maturity. And then that next realm is emerging and growing leaders, healthy marriages and home life, renewed lives, and even up at the top, participation. People being in, people being connected, participating. But you would even say the greatest metric by which I would look at this is to say men discipling other men. Men living the biblical model of discipleship being a disciple and making disciples of others. So we're really in agreement 
of what this needs to be and what this looks like and how best to even look around and evaluate what's happening in our churches. So then what's holding us back? So what would you need to have a more fruitful, effective men's ministry? Again, these are from the answers that we've gotten over the last year through the survey, through the people that participated. Number one, greater commitment from participants. Greater participation. More lay leaders. Availability and capacity. Coaching and advice. So there's an element of we need guys to buy in. We need guys to want to be a part. We need even leaders, lay leaders, to come alongside and want this too. But I think we can be encouraged by what we saw previously on the graph. It seems to be that men are wanting to be discipled, that men are wanting to grow in Christ, and they're even wanting to be together. There is even a desire, though we act like we don't, to have deep connection and relationship and friendship. And so that brought me personally a lot of encouragement to even look at the men in my church through a different lens, through different eyes, and say, I want to believe good for them. I want to believe that they do desire this rather than my natural posture, which is to step back and assume that they don't want to do. Maybe it's simply I need to engage them. I need to invite them into this more. And maybe it will require some pursuit, but maybe they will respond. And what we want so much is to see our men loving as Christ does, loving their families, loving their community, loving their church family. And so the more that we invest here, the greater, the greater investment we'll see across the board in so many areas. What would we need to have more fruitful men's ministry? What would be helpful to us personally in our men's ministry? What we heard and saw through this as men answer, they said, we would love, we would love help in developing vision and strategy. Where do I start? What does it look like? What does it look like to have a plan for this? If I'm going to invite other men into this ministry, which I will surely need, what am I setting them to? What's the direction I want them pointed towards as they do this? Other answers there, leader and volunteer recruitment. How do I get guys on board? How do I, how do, I do that? Resources, curriculum, coaching. These are the things that were very, very helpful for us as we thought as a team of how next to step into this phase of a men's ministry team and say, how can we help? Because our heart is we want to see not just our church, our own local church, we want to see this denomination grow as churches that disciple men and see them making disciples of others. We want to see other. We want to hear success stories of other churches where men are catching this vision and saying, I personally am called to be a disciple of Christ, and not just for myself, but to live this faith out before the people that he's given me an opportunity to do so. How do we do that? So this is where we talk about our next phase. So I want to introduce Mike Flynn to share a bit about Uh, some practical things that we have gained and learned over a number of years, uh, even from our own experience, even feedback as to how we'll go about uh, doing this. Mike. You okay if I stay down here? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. So Stephen has pulled together a group of great guys. All these guys know about discipleship, have been involved in discipleship, have a passion for discipleship, 
and their experience with working with churches for discipleship. But we've been working for a couple years, been praying and trying to figure out, well, how do we help our denominational churches? Uh, we felt it was best to go out and really understand our churches. So this data that we've got, it's not surprising, but it validates where our denominational churches are. The most telling chart on that, that Dustin showed was only 10%, uh, in our denomination, 10% of the pastors say that their men are discipling other men. You know, if you accept the definition of discipleship as calling, equipping, and sending a man, evangelism, discipleship, and sending, then we're not doing what God asked us to do. I think we all have a sense of that anyway, right? But we need to evangelize, we need to disciple, to equip, and then we need to help guys be sent to uh, disciple other men. So, Dustin showed the data. Monty and I are going to talk next about, well, how can we help you? If you want help, how can we help you? So let me ask some informal questions. How many of you would say you come from large churches? How many come from small churches? Okay. How many rural, communi rural communities? How many metropolitan communities? How many would say you have a vibrant ministry to men? Two. Awesome. How many would say you have no ministry to men? Come on. Okay. And then the rest of you have some ministry to men or men's ministry and you really want to do something more, right? I've got great news for you, right? No matter whether you're big, small, rural, uh, urban, there are things that we can help you with if you want to uh, move your ministry forward. And our heart's desire is to do just that. Monty's going to share a little bit later about how that looks over the, over the coming year. So that's good news. The other good news is that you can do this. You can create a vibrant ministry of men in your church. When I talk to pastors, I often share there's three things that make ministries to men successful. The first is that the church is intentional, intentional about discipleship. Comes out in a number of different ways, but if I go to their website and I look at the website, will I see anything on their website about men's activities? Will I see anything about the most recent men's activity where they're celebrating a transformed life? In too many of our churches, there isn't even a web presence. There's not communications that come out about opportunities for men. So that's part of being intentional. Um, if I walk into a church and I see a bunch of people there, do I see the men congregating? Do I see them talking to one another? Do I see them having deep discussions, even outside of the church service? That's a part of being intentional because they've developed a, cultural, a culture of discipleship in the church. If I really want to get nasty, I will walk up to a pastor or a leader and I say, discipleship is important to you. Who are your three men? More times than not, they won't be able to give me the names of the men that they're discipling. If our leaders aren't modeling discipleship all the way from the pastor down, how can we expect our men to disciple and be discipled? We can't do it. We have to lead by example. A culture of discipleship. If I walk into a church, do I see an area where they've got uh, pamphlets with the men's ministry, uh, things that are going on, and, and they have videos or pictures of what happened at the last men's event. In too many of our churches, that's not the way it is. So we want men to walk into a church. We want that culture to embrace them and engulf them. 
You want a man to walk up to another man and figure out how I can take him one step closer to Christ. That's discipleship. And you can sense that in the church. So they have to be intentional. And one of the ways that churches are successful in being intentional is they have a deliberate, intentional strategy for their ministry. You know, Pat Morley says, we are resource-heavy and we need more spiritual exercise. And what that means is we need to have men that will choose to not just read a book, but they'll walk with another man in a journey through life. And so we need some more spiritual exercise that's out there. Okay, so um, doing it, having a ministry strategy is very, very important. Um, being intentional is the first reason they're successful. The second reason they're successful is not this chart. Yeah, here we go. The second, so they're intentional. The second is that they know their men. Okay, and we don't care if you think about three types of men or four types of men or five types of men, but we do encourage you to think about who are our men, right? And there's no way in most of our churches that a pastor can know all the men, but a pastor can know a few men who know a few more men who know a few more men. And if you have a discipleship culture, you can actually get to know every single man in your church, every single man in your church. So this is a model. It talks about four types of men up in this left-hand corner. These men are unbelievers. You have men like this in your church. They don't come often. They may not want to come. They don't think they're on a spiritual journey. Um, to them, truth is what they read on the Internet or hear on the Internet or somebody has told them they're experiencing truth in their life and their identity is who they think their identity needs to be or somebody has told them what their identity is. So they are tough to read, tough to reach, um, but they also have some needs. And so they need a friend, especially in our society today. They need a biblical, they need a worldview that matters to them, that it means something to them. Why do these things happen in the world? And so there are ways to reach unbelievers and draw them into your church. And we could talk more about how to do that. To the unbeliever, it's all about me. It's all about me. Next to them, we have, uh, these are actually the four types of soil, too. You may be able to relate to that. But the, next to them, we have the professing believers. These are men who probably call Jesus their Savior, but likely do not call him their Lord, his, their Lord, right? So these men are in your church. These men will be sporadic attenders to your church. Uh, they probably are not serving much. They would come to Sunday service, but they won't engage in things much beyond that. And, and you have these types of men in your church. The other interesting thing is, you know, the data says that post-COVID, these are probably the men who did not come back to your church yet, right? They're probably still not back at your church because church isn't relevant to them like you would want them, like, like you'd want it to be. So we have unbelievers, we have professing believers. Um, up in the upper right-hand side is maturing believers. These are solid biblical Christians. These men are in your churches. They're serving in your churches. They're going through a sanctification process like we all do. And the problem is they've got some, something in their life that's still an idol and still interferes with their walk with Christ. But we have a lot of these men in our churches. So 
That's the maturing believers. To the maturing believers, it's a lot about God, but there's still some me in there, right? A lot about God, but there's still some me in there. And the fourth type of man is a disciple maker. This guy, his mantra is it's about God and others. And so when he walks up to somebody, he's thinking, how do I bring this guy to Christ or bring him one step closer to Christ when he's there? So when, when he's talking to him. So the other thing I will mention, a couple things. One is we never stay in one of these categories all of our lives, right? We're moving through these categories, kind of go back and forth between categories too, depending on what happens in our life. But if we don't know our men, and we don't have a deep relationship where we're talking to them, we're not going to know when those guys are struggling with something in their life, right? So we need to know our men, or we need to know a man who knows a man who knows a man, but you can know every single man in your church. And you can also draw men from outside of your church, some of those unbelievers, and you can get the um, uh, professing believers back into your church as well. And the other thing is that Throughout all four of these categories is another man, and, and that man is the hurting man. Marriage issues, financial issues, addiction issues. And you hate to see a man going through that, but uh, we know that we can, through discipleship, bring those men back to the truth and help them get through that issue in their life. So four types of men. I encourage you to think about that. And that brings us to the third reason that churches are successful is that churches that are successful for every one of those types of men will have some kind of an on-ramp in their ministry that reaches that type of man. Men pursue things of value, and we want them to pursue things of value that are of a spiritual nature. If they don't, they're going to invest in non-spiritual things in the world, which is happening today. But you can, in your ministry, provide on-ramps for every one of those types of men. Okay, so that's just a little tidbit. It's one of the things we're going to talk about in the cohorts that uh, Monty is going to talk about a little bit later. Okay, so um, these are just some other things to think about in, in regards to your ministry. So we talked already about developing a strategy. We'd encourage you to have a multi-year strategy. This is about heart transformation. It's not about uh, behavior change. So we just need to provide opportunities out there where the Lord will, the Holy Spirit will inspire a man to move past uh, what he's struggling with in life. It's about heart transformation. It takes time. Think in terms of three to five years. Um, your leadership team, which we propose you have, needs to think about, you're going to see movement right away, but to build a vibrant ministry to men, it probably takes three to five years to do that. You have to get to know your men. We talked about that already. Think holistically regarding discipleship. You know, ministry to men, there's a difference between a men's ministry and a ministry to men, but we encourage leaders, think every place a man's life is touched by someone else in the ministry is an opportunity for discipleship. So don't think that your ministry to men is just the things that you have on your pamphlet. You can actually reach and disciple other men through others who touch a man's life. So think holistically about uh, discipleship. Plan in a strategic way. We talked about that. It is a long-term strategy you need to put in place. Multi-year plan. Very intentional about providing things in your ministry that reaches those four types of men. And then there are ways to sustain the movement. Um, there is nothing better that inspires men to step more into discipleship than hearing a man's changed life story. 
right? I still get brought to tears when I hear a guy's life being changed by the Lord. Celebrate those. Allow those to happen uh, from the pulpit, and uh, there's ways to sustain the movement. Okay, so uh, we are going to talk next. Monty's going to come up and talk about the cohorts. I'm going to give you a listing of the kinds of subjects we're going to talk, but then Monty's going to kind of talk at a higher level. So when we do these cohorts, they're 11 uh, months long, once a month, and we're going to talk about things like your ministry vision. I love the verse Habakkuk 2.2. talks about write the vision plainly on tablets, and they will run to it. You can have a vision that allows that to happen. So your ministry vision, developing a ministry strategy, developing a leadership team, very important. Pastors are too busy to lead a ministry, honestly. And uh, there are men in your church that can help with that uh, ministry team, leadership team, and that's also a form of discipleship. What's discipleship and what does it look like in your church? Uh, knowing your men, uh, look, pulling together a ministry map and looking for where your gaps are in terms of reaching those four types of men. Uh, doing some strategic planning, mission, ministries, purpose, and vision, recruiting leaders, allies, and other men in your church. Yeah, I'll stop there. We've got a lot of things that we can talk about and teach about, and uh, that's what we want to do in the cohorts, and Monty's going to talk about that next. So we've been meeting as a team, and again, we're from like five different parts of the U.S., different sizes of churches and so on. And we've been meeting in a team for the last two years, figuring out how to help you. How to Love on You Guys. So we've picked the top two best books that will help your men's ministry. We're going to sell those in the back. (laughs) By the way, I think that's what 90% of churches would probably help you with. There's nothing wrong with those books, honestly. By God's grace, I just finished my 33rd straight year discipling men. And you know what curriculum I use? The same curriculum that Jesus used, which was what? It's interesting, both were said, God's word through his life. I always ask people, man, the, I, I love to ask pastors this. If there was a curriculum problem, why don't we just take the best discipleship curriculum written in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and use that today in the church, which would be what curriculum? We don't have a curriculum problem. We have a ton of resources that Mike just talks about. We have a life problem. So what we've decided to do is to help you guys is to do life with you. We're going to point you to plenty of resources, but we want to walk you through how to do this. So that's why we're going to have these monthly cohorts that are going to start here soon. What we're going to ask you to do is fill out an application to see if you guys are really going to be committed to be a part of these cohorts. We're going to have cohorts that are going to be anywhere from 8 to 12 churches in each cohort that they're going to have members of our team that's helped together, I would say, personally, and some other guys on the team have helped over a 1,000 churches just to increase their men's ministry. So we want to walk you through. We want to talk with you. What are you struggling with? Is it developing a vision and a strategy, literally integrated into your church? Is it coming up with a team? What, what kind of men do you invite on a men's ministry team? How do you start momentum in the fall to keep it going throughout the year? How do you reach the four different types of men? By the way, I brought that to my men's ministry, and we have different ways that we're trying to reach our different types of men. One of the things that we do, I'm in South Nashville, that we do with, I said this last year. Who was in the thing last year that we spoke about? Like one guy. I talked about last year. And 
Thank you very much. You're the only guy that remembers anything in this whole room. So um, I talked about last year, we live in South Nashville. How do we reach unbelievers? Well, we come up with some ideas. So we have this thing called breaking bread and slinging lead. Well, we have donuts on a Saturday morning and everybody brings their guns out and we shoot them. We have a guy on the, uh, on the SWAT team. Some of you in your churches can't do that. That's okay. So how can you guys reach unreached people group? We have another thing called Theology on Tap. There's lots of bourbon things around and beer things around. So we literally invite non-Christians that come and literally we ask theological questions. They can ask any question they want to. You know what I mean? Most non-Christians come to that. Figure out how to do that. We also help the mature, like the professing Christians become mature. We had a Bible study during the summer to, uh, over a band of brothers that we wove in the gospel to every lesson and talked about that. How do we help you come up with ideas to think strategy that fits your church and your culture that we've decided here that are best practices to pass on? We don't, we would, we want to give our lives more than we want to give our resources. So that's why we want to help you. So we want to start a monthly cohort. And we want you to fill out an application if you're interested. And that you would do a cohort together so that you guys can learn from each other what's going to best for your culture. But we're going to help you with best practices, how to start a ministry, how to keep it flourishing, how to raise up men who are multiplying believers to go after non-believers and to disciple and give their lives away. So we want to develop things like we've talked about vision, purpose, how to build a team, finding resources, knowing who are your men in your culture. I was just helping a church up in Annapolis, and I'm still helping a church up there. Guess what? A lot of their men don't hang around a long time because there's something up the road in Annapolis that happens. So they have to say, what does transition look like? You'd probably know a lot about what transition. You have to be able to know that. So if that's your culture, how do you reach men in a short-term way? So we want to help you do that with the wisdom that our team has and that you guys can teach us through the cohort. I'm so excited about learning on the cohort because you guys are going to give me ideas that I can do my church in Nashville. So I'm so excited about that. Uh, How do you have long-term fruit? So we're going to have an entire ministry year that we're going to walk through these cohorts with you, not just develop a strategy and a vision and a team, but how to execute that. So with the application, you can fill that out, and we're going to split you up in, in multiple ways to be on different cohorts with our team. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn from each other Like if I'm leading one cohort and another guy on team's leading another one, we're going to learn from each other as we come back together. How is your cohort? How is, you know, mine? And how can we learn? But we're going to learn from you guys. And as we learn, we're going to pass on what we've learned from you to one another. So we're going to have these cohorts. They're going to start in August. We're going to try to start those because that's kind of the beginning of the ministry year. And we're going to hope the cohorts go the entire year. So we're going to develop what it would look like for you to have something in September and October and a team and so on. And we're going to walk you through that whole process and help you learn with best practices. What are your responsibilities? There are going to be some homework and reading you're going to do. But here's what's so awesome. We're going to help you like, for instance, August. If you don't have a men's ministry team, how do you develop one? Your homework would be to go find those people, to recruit those people by the next month. I don't have a vision or mission for my for my men's ministry at all. I don't have that church. That's going to be part of the homework for you to go actually implement the ministry, not just to meet, read more resources. So that's what's going to be encouraging about this cohort as we learn from one another. And that's the bottom bullet, as you can see. I want to learn from you. I want to do life with you. I want to follow Jesus' method of God's word and his life.
and that's one I want to follow through with, and that's what we're excited about doing. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.